When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, Don, punch up Clint there, and let's get started. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing just all right this morning. How about you, sir? Oh, pretty good. Getting a little rain out in the vine, thankfully. I was looking at the radar just a minute ago, and it looks like it's not going to be very long or uh, probably not going to amount to a whole lot, but, man, every drop that falls from the sky, we are grateful for. You know it, and luckily i got Medina growing green out for all of this stuff and my lungs is looking good that's <laughs> that's a very good thing that's a very good thing how can i help this morning i picked up, I, I picked up some trick of grandma wasps from me the other day well actually my son did it for me and, and he kind of got the instructions so you just uh, when you put it out how long does it take uh wasps to hatch and stuff like that um, it depends on the temperature, and usually they'll begin hatching in three to four days. Now, the important thing in putting that little card out, what you what you're actually have bought is a piece of paper that's coated with moth eggs, each of which has a little developing wasp larvae inside of it. Unfortunately, fire ants would love to eat those things, so if we tack the card to a tree, we always put a big glob of Vaseline around it so the ants can't get to it. What I do with it, is use a little bit of monofilament fishing line, uh, and since they've closed the Gulf, you know, you might as well use your good monofilament line for something, but uh, I just, you know, hang it for maybe a two-foot piece of line in a shady spot out underneath the tree. It just sits there and uh, blows back and forth, and after, if it stays as warm as it has, we're supposed to start getting some cooler mornings, but... Um, uh, still some very warm days. So those little wasps will be out in three or four days, going to work, finding the caterpillar eggs, parasitizing them, and uh, taking care of problems before they ever get started. If you ever, you know, really want to see it, what you can do is take a glass jar or something, punch a few tiny holes in it so it gets some air in there. You can always put your strip in that little glass jar and check it two, three times a day. And uh, as soon as you see the the wasp, you can see them. They're tiny, but you can see them. But you can wait until you start seeing them emerge inside of your jar to let them out. But uh, I don't know. We've done lots and lots and lots of strips and never had one that didn't fail to hatch properly. So for me, I just go ahead and hang them out. And they're good for about 500 square feet per strip? You know, it... I don't. I, I think it's uh, they're good for a lot more than that. For people with just a handful 
of trees. We're telling them, you know, if you got really big trees, pecan trees or something like that, maybe hang out, you know, one strip on each tree. But overall, on big areas, I think they're recommending about six to seven cards per acre, which means that, uh, you know, one card is going to be good for, what would that make it, about 5,000 square feet. Okay. And uh, does it have to stay out of the sun or some morning sun? It, no it should be or? in the shade. It should be in the shade. Morning sun's probably okay, but we've had some hot days, so best bet's just hang in a shady spot. Okay, good deal. All right, well, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the call, Clint. You have a great weekend, and uh, glad you're there. Glad you're healthy, and sure appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, uh, Don, I think Rosa is up next, and looks like it'll be Jane and Ben. Uh, good morning, Rosa. Good morning. How are you? I'm just happy to be here and uh, healthy, and I hope you are the same. Oh, I am too, but I needed to ask you about that E. coli. I, I want to use the cow manure that's out in the field, right? and I was worried, will my vegetables get E. coli maybe from it? I no, heard ma'am. Lettuce had it. I just want. I was worried. Well, the the E. coli that was found on the lettuce and on the in the spinach and a couple of other things had absolutely nothing to do with the cows. It had to do with uh, with lettuce pickers that um, uh, let's just say they were not practicing good hygiene. Uh, they're the ones that got their own E. coli on to the lettuce or the spinach and uh, we we won't go any further than that with it but uh, uh, <laughs> okay. recognize that there are that there are many 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 strains of e coli that are good you could not live if you did not have you know a lot of e coli in your intestines but there are a couple of strains of it that are bad and um the bad ones are passed from human to human, not from cows to human. So uh, basically, you should be always be safe if you wash your produce carefully. If you want to rinse it in hydrogen peroxide, that is even safer, and it certainly doesn't uh, hurt your ability to uh, eat it. But uh, no, you go right ahead and uh, <clears throat> use that. Use that manure any way you like, <laughs> and so long as you practice good personal sanitation, as I'm sure you do, you don't have to worry about E. coli. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. How about what you just said about the peroxide? How do you use it? How much? Oh, I would, you know, I would take a bowl, and I'd put, uh, hydrogen peroxide is cheap, and what you get at the grocery store is pretty dilute. I would take a bowl and maybe put maybe a fourth of a cup of hydrogen peroxide to a couple of cups of water, and just uh, just dip your vegetables in it. I mean, if it's something with a real rough skin, uh, you might want to rub it a little bit. Uh, for instance, if you're, you know, I've been picking a lot of yeah, dino right? kale. Uh, celery, I would just kind of rub it. Yeah, celery, I just, I just rinse it good. And that's going to take care of, uh, any potential bad stuff that's on there. Oh, wonderful. Well, I, I'm very late in planting everything, but I'm going to go out today and plant it. Is watermelon 
Is it too late or too early to plant watermelons? I sure hope it's not too late because I haven't planted mine. That's on my list for my next day off. And uh, I was planting eggplant and peppers earlier this week. I will admit my tomatoes are up and doing well, but my beans are just starting to sprout. You're not late. We're not even into April yet. Rosie, you're you're right on time, so don't worry about that. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Okay. Thank you so very much. Have a great day. You do the same. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. All right. Uh, got a couple of lines open. So um, uh, give me a call, uh, 210-599-5555. And uh, let's see. Uh, I believe, uh, do, we have, uh, do we have Jane up there, Don, or do we go to Ben next? It's Jack. Okay, we go to Jack next. Good morning, Jack. Good morning. Good morning, sir. All right, <clears throat> my corn is up, and my pole beans are up. Now, how do I save them? Stood out there at night <laughs> with a flashlight and a shotgun. You know, I am a big believer in uh, electricity. Um, in other words, uh, electric fence. Uh, the pole beans are not as you know susceptible to marauding raccoons and things as the corn is. I swear, corn, when corn gets ripe, man, these raccoons have an Internet somehow that they tell every coon in the county that the corn's ripe over at Jack's place and they all show up. But while the corn is growing, you really don't have anything to worry about. But as the corn approaches ripeness, that's when you've got to worry about keeping the uh, varmints away from it. You can, today's electric fence is not a piece of wire. For the home garden, you can get this, uh, it's very, very easy to use. It's a little polypropylene twine that's about, uh, oh golly, you know, maybe, maybe an eighth of an inch, uh, in diameter. And it's got the little bitty wires embedded in it. So you just basically get some insulating post. I usually run two lines around my corn patch, one about, uh, six inches off the ground, one about 12 inches off the ground. Get yourself, uh, you know, from any good farm and ranch store, get a little charger. It can be battery-powered. It can be uh, 110, and uh, just hook that thing up. What I normally do, because I do not have any love at all for raccoons, I will go around in the evening, and I will wet down the ground right underneath my electric fence so that if Mr. or Ms. Raccoon runs across there, they're going to get well-grounded, and they're going to have a very unpleasant awakening when they come in contact with that electric fence. I, I know I didn't grow corn last year. The year before, though, I uh, sleep, you know, second-story bedroom that's kind of not far from the garden, and more than once in the middle of the night, I'd hear this blood-curdling scream and know that a raccoon had just come in contact with the electric fence and it was probably now about two counties away and so that's how i protect my corn patch i you know raccoons will climb over a fence they're very shall we say dexterous little animals they can get around but they can't beat the electric fence and now i will tell you i haven't seen it yet my business partner roberta located and has ordered i don't know if it's arrived yet but it's like a kind of a mesh it's actually like sort of a plastic fence with the electric cables built into it and uh, she said it costs about a dollar a foot but uh you can run that you know in effect make a a fence around if you don't want to if you don't want to put up the little post in effect but i haven't used it yet so i can't comment on that yet but i will tell you i 
totally stopped the raccoons with just a couple of electric wires. I harvested, blanched, and froze so much corn I didn't need to grow any more last year. So I haven't decided if I'm going to put in a corn patch this year or not. But uh, electricity is is better than any dog or any shotgun or anything that I've found to keep the possums, coons, and all the other varmints away from your corn. Well, should I spray anything on the uh, beans to keep bugs off? Or um, Beans are not, or... yeah, the only thing that I regularly see on beans uh, is occasionally little caterpillars, uh, occasionally little beetles. I use a product called Spinosad Soap. And I I use it reactively. If I start seeing a little bit of damage, I'll get out and spray with my spinosad soap, and it always seems to clear it up in a hurry. I'll be honest with you. I have had not had real good luck with pole beans the past three or four years, and I've gotten almost 100% to planting bush beans rather than pole beans. So my advice would be, you know, you got your pole beans in and grow them, but if you've got room, um, go ahead and, uh, you know, go ahead and... Uh, Put in a few bush beans too, just to be sure you get, uh, you know, you get get a good uh, a good number of beans there. Okay, well, I, I put out the, uh, the uh, whatever it was you told me to put out for fire ants. I got that out, right? And uh, I just wonder what what else it might be coming. You know, my brown thumb, I could look at a plant, it'll die. <laughs> I, my ex-mother-in-law used to say she had a plant. She called it Hamlet because it could decide whether to be or not to be. That's that's kind of the way it is around my house sometimes. But uh, you call me anytime you have questions. If you you know keep up your watering every couple of days on the beans and the corn, uh, fertilize periodically. I always put some fertilizer in before I plant, and then I follow it up with the liquid like Medina's has to grow. But uh, I predict you're going to surprise yourself with how well you do. Now, like I say, pole beans have not done real well for me or most anybody else I talk to. So uh, let them grow. Keep your fingers crossed. But uh, go out and get yourself a pack of Contender or Top Crop or Bush Blue Lake. Plant a row or so of your uh, bush green beans, and I can virtually guarantee you success with those. And do you have to put a fence where they grow up like a pole bean, or they just... Oh, no. No, they just, uh, they'll grow about maybe 18 inches tall. They'll be the thickest, uh, prettiest little thing that you've ever seen. And, you know, I, I grow, I think it's getting a little late, but my first crop of, uh, bush beans is one called Tavera. Actually, you could still plant a crop of those. But man, from a four foot row, I could pick enough beans for two people. I usually do a double row about 10 feet long. And every day I'm getting enough to share with friends and family and everybody else. So, uh, they are quite productive. All righty. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. It is. Well, you do the same. It's good to talk to you, Jack. Bye-bye. And if, goodbye. If I'm reading everything right, next up it'll be Roy and then Sylvia. Good morning, Roy. Good morning, Bob. How are you this morning? I'm doing very well, sir. How about yourself? I'm good and certainly good to hear you because during the week we tried to call and couldn't get you and didn't know what was going on. (laughs) Well, we are open. We're enforcing social distancing, and as you've heard me say, I'm not at the radio station. I'm sitting here in the office broadcasting this morning, but happy to be here for you. That's good. Um, My wife had some fire ants in one of her flower pots, and Uh mixed up orange oil and water put in there, mixed it pretty strong. Uh, Uh, That's not good. Yeah. Uh, how long do we need to wait before she can replant in that same soil? 
uh, until I go off the air. Oh, about a, about a little over three hours from now. Okay, sounds good. Okay, <laughs> but uh, next time, next time, Roy, if uh, if there are plants already growing in the pot, um, you need to make your orange oil pretty dilute. I'd, if there are plants in there, because orange oil will burn roots. If you have plants yeah. growing in there, I'd use no more than about a teaspoon per gallon. But uh, if it's just bare soil, yeah, go ahead and do as much as an ounce per gallon, and uh, you'll kill those ants almost instantly. And as soon as the soil dries, you can get out and replant. Okay, sounds good. And is it too late to put compost on the uh, lawn, on the grass? No, sir. We're supposed to cool down a bit this next week, but I get it done as get it done as soon as you can. Sounds good. Okay, yeah, we had a little bit. I heard some thunder this morning, and uh, it's a little wet out yeah. there, but we're not getting well, that sure like yeah, get the compost out as soon as you can, and uh, we'll talk again. I We're getting right up close to news time. We'll be back with more calls right after news, right here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. Let's get started. Uh, line number one is Sylvia. Good morning, Sylvia. Hi, Bob. Hi, Good morning. Uh, well, I have good and bad. I did get an orchid tree, you know, from shade to green, I guess about good. three weeks ago, and I'm getting flowers and flowers. Good. That. It's doing real, real good. The only thing I have a fire bush. I think I moved it maybe almost three months ago from one place uh-huh. to a very sunny area, and there's no life. I mean, no don't, life at all. Don't be surprised. Yeah, I, um, I would not worry about it for another month, Sylvia. What I always tell um, people about fire bush is it's going to um, come out two weeks after you give up on it. So maybe two weeks from now. <laughs> so, firebush is the slowest of all the perennials to begin regrowing oh. in the spring. So, um, okay. I mean, everything is going to be up and growing and blooming. And then finally, your firebush will come struggling up out of the ground. So at this point, okay. I'm I, I'm not about to start worrying yet. If we Easter comes and oh, goes... Uh, probably, I'd look for it to be up by maybe the second or third week of April. If Mother's Day comes and it still hadn't shown up, well, it, it might not be there. But, uh, it's always the slowest perennial in your landscape to, uh, come back. So don't be too worried. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give it all, all the way into, you know, like to Mother's Day, like you said. And by then, no life. And I guess I'll put something else or just get another one. Yeah, okay, but I think I think it's going to be fine. You keep watering it, watering it whatever that soil is dry on the surface because you do want to keep the roots and the underground stem part of it alive, but uh nobody's fire bushes are coming back. The only fire bush uh that are showing up out there now are the ones that were in a greenhouse or somewhere like that all winter. Oh, okay, cuz the way it looks, I mean just I thought by now I'd get a little green reaper, not anything. <laughs> yeah, you should you be know. seeing green on your salvias. You should be seeing green on your shrimp plants. But uh, your firebush, uh-huh. it's uh, it just sleeps late, so to speak. It didn't get up till uh-huh. very late in the spring. And it seems like we're going to have some rain because I hear a little thundering. You know, it's you know we're over here off of Broadway, and, and yeah. I guess yeah, you're there too because you're at the uh, shades of green. So I guess right, it's, it's coming down rain, right now. Just, yeah, it's, oh, it's it just started pouring down. Yes, ma'am. I hear it. Yeah, I hear it right now. <laughs> okay, uh, I, uh, I hope you have a good day. Okay, I hope you. you do, too. Give thanks for all we okay. have, and we'll talk again. <laughs> okay, bye. Okay, bye. All right, Martha is up next. Uh, good morning, Martha. Well, we're not having any rain in New Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I doubt if we're I'm having any rain in uh, 
Yeah, and I don't think we're having much in uh, in Bernie right now either. But, you know, if you look at the radar, it's just uh, I don't have all my monitors that I do back at the studio, but I've, I've got a pretty good cell phone, and uh, it's a very thin line. I think a lot of people are going to get a good shower. A lot of people aren't going to get anything at all, but this is not going to be a long rain event. I'll bet you by the time the sun comes up, uh, we're clear and beautiful. Well, I'll keep my fingers crossed. Uh I have a hibiscus that's about four foot in a pot, and uh-huh. I should have transferred it in the fall and didn't get it done. So do you think I can move it to a bigger pot with success? You can do that 365 days a year, Sylvia, Martha, because uh, when you're just going from one pot to the next, you are not disturbing the root system. So you did that spring, summer, fall, or winter, your plant's going to do nothing but say thank you. So you get out and get it done as soon as it's convenient. Okay. Well, I need to trim the tree back. That's strictly up to you. That's a cosmetic okay. thing. That's like deciding whether you need a haircut or not. Right, and I'm about a four-inch pot of salvia lacantus, and I'm trying to figure out where to put it. Can I? How much shade will it take? Salvia lucantha is Mexican bush sage, and it is one of the one of the ones that likes a lot of sun. I will tell you, it has to have at least half a day of sun. It's ultimately going to make a plant about three feet tall and three feet wide. So it's bigger than some of the salvias, smaller than some of the others. So. Well, Just give it room. Favorite, so I go, anyway, we'll see. <laughs> you know, there, there are actually two different forms of it. All of them have that little sort of lavender flower, but then out of the center of that little lavender flower on one variety comes a pure little white section. Out of the other variety comes a real intense orchid section. The, uh, the orchid one is my favorite, but, uh, uh, you probably, if you love that plant, you ought to have one of each in your landscape. So, uh, they, they grow the same, they look the same, but the flowers are very distinctly different and both of them are beautiful. I was going by one that they had a um, yellow plant, I don't remember what it was, blooming, that came up in the middle of it, and, oh, the two of them together were just gorgeous. <laughs> and they are, they're just growing perennials, and growing flowers in general. Talk about something to lift your spirits. Uh, everybody needs a good flower bed along with a vegetable garden, if you like those two. Amen. And back to my hibiscus. I have it on the east side of the porch. Can I move it to the west? Um, here's the thing about hibiscus. The plant will love the west sun, but some varieties of hibiscus, uh, our Texas summer sun is enough to burn the flowers. The flowers, you know, flower, hibiscus flowers only last one day anyway, but some varieties, that flower will actually get a little sunburn. Now, this time of year, I don't think that'll be an issue. So, yeah, I think it would be very happy on the west side of your porch, but uh, just keep an eye on it. If the flowers start getting actually looking like they're sunburned, if they're just not lasting all day, they start looking ugly in the afternoon, then you may need to move it to a little bit more shade. Okay, I have a jasmine in the pot. Can I move it into the full sun? And can you tell me what kind of jasmine? No, that's all it had on the pot. Okay, is it a bush or is it a vine? White. It's a vine. Okay. It has a white blossom. Yes, it will grow in sun or shade. Now, it's going to have to have something to grow on because it's a vigorous grower. It, it wants to be six feet tall. That one is properly called either star jasmine or some people call it confederate jasmine. 
Uh, yeah, I don't. Let's don't talk political correctness. It's always going to be Confederate Jasmine to me, but if you prefer Star Jasmine, it's going to bloom about April. It's highly fragrant, makes lots and lots of flowers, but it does make a big plant. So move it into the sun if you can and give it a good place to grow. Okay, thank you very much, and have a blessed week. And you I do the same. <laughs> you do the same, Martha. Sure, appreciate okay. it. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, next up is Richard. Uh, good morning, Richard. Hey, good morning, sir. Uh, morning. I got a couple questions. We bought a house here on um, Westover Hills. I don't know if you're familiar with that set. Yes, and sir. Congratulations. One, well, one thing I noticed about it, I don't know why we didn't notice when we were looking at the houses, it's got no trees. Uh-huh. <laughs> and my dog, that's going to get high. My dog, uh, well, I got two dogs. Uh, would like to get like a nice shade tree for them. Okay. You know, and uh, what would be a good tree to start in the backyard without, you know, like getting into the pipes and rooting real sure. bad? And- well, well, trees don't bore holes in pipes. If you have a leak in a pipe, a tree may put a root into it. But uh, that's a big myth that trees actually hurt the pipes. If pipes are in good shape, trees aren't going to cause any problem at all. I'm sure you would like to have this tree grow as quickly as possible for the puppy dogs, right? Right, yes. Okay. As long as you can keep it watered, the fastest growing tree that you can plant out there is called a Mexican sycamore. Um, that tree can be 30, 40 feet tall within five or six years growth. Uh, so it is going to be our fastest growing tree. Average life is probably 40 or 50 years. And, uh, it's certainly not going to live as long as a big old bur oak or something like that. But, uh, to have something that grows quickly is an attractive tree and, uh, you know, just doesn't have any problems. I'm going to tell you to look around, see if you can find a Mexican sycamore now. I, I'll try to put this delicately. If that's the only tree in the yard, you don't want the dogs hiking their leg on it every time they walk by it, or that's going to be very bad for the tree. So you may want to put a little cage or something like that to well, protect them. They're both females. They're both okay, females well, in there. Yeah, I guess that's a good thing then. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, that that could be a problem. But I'm sure your nurseries, will. most of them will have Mexican sycamore and just uh, – Get it planted, water regularly, and uh, your dogs will thank you. Okay. And just another question is my wife has a little tangerine tree uh-huh. in the in like a little pot. It's probably, I guess it's maybe about, I don't know, maybe about a foot long. It's been in okay. a pot, a coffee pot. Um, my question is, would we be able to plant that one? Where would be the best place to plant that one in the backyard? Well, it's going to need sun, and ultimately that tree is going to be about 15 feet tall and about 10 feet wide. So it's kind of like a good-sized crepe myrtle. You want to give it enough uh, room to grow up to that size. But as long as it gets good sun and as long as the dogs can't sit on it or lie on it or whatever else, uh, you put it anywhere you'd like. But expect it to be about, at maturity, about 15 feet tall, about 10 feet wide. And uh, it, they're cold-hardy down uh, at least into the upper teens, so it should be a very successful tree for you. Wow. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it, Richard. Appreciate the call, and you have a good, safe week. All right. We're going to talk to Chris and Cindy. I do have a couple of open lines now, so if you've been getting a busy signal, uh, be a real good time to dial. You know the number, 210-599-5555. And let's just bring up Chris. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. 
I got a couple of uh, three questions for you. All right. One of them is a one of them is a an ornamental plum tree, flowering plum tree. Yes, sir. Got a couple of them that uh, have been left alone for a long time, and these root suckers came up around the base, pretty uh-huh. intense. So I've gone through and I've trimmed away the root suckers from these trees, and now I have all these little stumps coming up around the root zone. How do I take care of those? Uh, you know, get rid of them but not hurt the, the parent tree because it hasn't killed the parent tree to have these suckers go there. They just they they got away with it for a long time. Okay, well they unfortunately they are weakening the parent tree, and there is not a lot you can you can do about them because as you so accurately observe, they are actually coming off of the roots of the pair of the uh, ornamental plum tree. And so about all you can do is to continue to cut them down. <clears throat> if uh, if you have one area that's really bad, or I guess if you want to do the whole thing, I don't want you to use weed block or, you know, anything like that. But uh, if you were to, you know, get some cardboard and just put cardboard down two, three layers thick, dump a little bit of mulch on top of it, that's going to suppress them a great deal. But we can't. That we really can't get rid of them. We can't put any kind of poison on them. We can't go and right. dig them up because then we're messing with the roots of the tree. But um, I would recommend just mow them off. Expect them to regrow, but just keep mowing them off. <clears throat> Excuse me. Just keep mowing them off, and your tree will do just fine. Um, I will tell you that plums are notoriously short-lived, shall we say, because we all set our standards by oak trees and pecan trees that can live hundreds of years. If you've got an ornamental plum that stays healthy and pretty for 12, 15 years, you're doing pretty well. So don't expect that tree to live forever. But the the root, the, the sprouts, the suckers, whatever, they're just kind of telling you that the tree's under a little bit of stress. And, you know, everything's under stress because we just, we've gotten these little rains that wet the surface. We just had a real downpour for about three minutes, and now it looks like it's totally gone. But we just haven't gotten the kind of rains that will put water deeply into the soil. So at least once a month or so, you need to turn the hose on slowly and let that really, really, really soak down deeply into the soil around that plum to keep it going as as best possible. And I realize that's a very long answer to a very short question, but just keep mowing off those suckers. Do everything you can to get the big tree healthy. But um, if it's been in the ground quite a few years, realize that they're among the more short-lived trees we grow. Yeah, I kind of can't wait for the the thing to die so I can plant a, a plum tree that likes to grow plums. These are just flowering ornamental decorations. Well, there's a product. There's a product called. Yeah, there's a product called chainsaw that will help you uh, <laughs> accomplish that goal much more quickly. But uh, remember. When you plant a productive plum, I mean, some varieties like Santa Rosa are what we call self-fertile. They can self-pollinate, but it's always better to have two trees. So if you have the room, plan on planting uh, maybe a methylene and a Bruce or a methylene and a Santa Rosa. Uh, If you don't have room, talk a neighbor into planting one and tell them what wonderful plums they're going to get because it's going to cross-pollinate with your tree. But um, by all means, uh, it's now's a good season. Somewhere like Phoenix is going to have plenty of good plum trees in stock. So don't don't feel like you have to wait for this one to go to plant another one if uh, if you have any room at all. 
Uh, a couple of these suckers are one-inch caliper little mini trees coming off the yep. root zone. Yeah. I'd rather have four uh, fruiting plums than these two ornamental. I mean, they're cute and everything, but uh, this is this is just this is just not my lifestyle. And this this previous owner planted all these little decorative plants all around. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to get a peach tree growing in the corner over here. Well, <laughs> you know, they're they're not family members. I want you to do two things. I want you to go over to CLL Lawmore over on Austin Highway and talk to Willie about one of those phenomenal electric seal saws, battery-powered chainsaws. They're, you know, they are a chainsaw. They are something that must be handled with care. But you're talking to a guy that's got three big steel chainsaws that are gas powered i hardly ever start one anymore because that little uh battery powered saw and i use it to cut cedar i mean i've cut i've cut logs that were 20 inches in diameter i had an old uh pecan log that yeah. needed to be cut and working from both sides of it i cut that a 20 inch diameter log with my electric saw and uh they're just incredible and uh um you know i need to call cnl and be sure that that they haven't been affected by this uh you know, stay in place order, but uh, they're they're the steel dealer that I'm sending everybody to now, and uh, they're closed Sunday and Monday, but open every other day. They're over on Austin Highway, and uh, I promise you, Willie, he'll take really good care of you. So you get yourself a good chainsaw. You take care of those uh, things that are not to your liking, and then you go see my friends over at Fanix about some good well, fruit trees. I'm and right there and, you, Bob, on the on the battery operated saw. I just have that other brand. I've, yeah, I've cut down a huge. A pecan tree log fell over on my garage. Yes, sir. I did the whole job with this little electric saw. I'm, I'm Aren't they amazing? And this is is a great saw. We don't need <laughs> to get off on a commercial for chainsaws, but, but you're right. They're safer. They're, they're the neighbors don't complain about the noise, and uh, you just get a second set of batteries and learn to cycle the batteries, and, and you. You work continually all day long. Let me tell you, it was all day long for months. That's what I tell people. You're going to run out of juice before your saw does if you've got oh, two batteries. Yeah. And uh, appreciate the breaks. <laughs> well, it's yeah. I and and I call it too. I call it a lady saw because you know I know a lot of ladies that are very capable, my partner included, of using a chainsaw, but they don't want to do it because they don't want to start the damn thing. And you know, oh, yeah, believe me, having having uh, pulled that recoil more times than I like on some others. But that's the fun thing about that uh, that lithium-ion battery-powered saw. You squeeze that trigger and you go, and uh, you make one cut and lie it down, pick it up, come back and do another one instead of starting and stopping it and starting it and stopping it. So I don't mind taking a second here, Chris, to uh, talk about the virtues of the newest stuff in saw technology. So anyway, you, <laughs> you, you get rid of the trouble causers. You go over and see Mark and Mike over at Fanix and get yourself some new fruit trees before it gets too late in the year, and uh, you might just be picking peaches and plums next spring. Could I squeeze in a question about a ginkgo tree? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I have two in pots. I've been keeping them in pots up under an awning, and they made it through the winter. And now that's I'm, not a problem. I'm I'm, I'm looking at uh, planting these things. They've been sitting in pots for too long. Yeah. But uh, there's a caution about planting the one that turns out to be the, the fruiting the female. Oh, don't don't worry about that. The fruit. Yeah, it's not that bad, and quite honestly, based on Howard Garrett's experience up in Dallas, even the ones that they call males... 
they seem to do their own sex change operation sometime later in life. <laughs> but yeah, and they're you know they grow in Tibet. They grow in a climate far far colder than ours. So do not worry about the winter. The one thing I will tell you, because I have a friend over on Callahan Road that has a you know this thing must be fifteen inches in caliper, but uh, they do like deeper soil. So pick the area of your yard where you have the deepest soil to plant them. But uh, I get them in the ground as soon as you can, and like I say, the the fruit's not that bad. Uh, uh, maybe we'll talk to Howard Garrett about that uh, at eight o'clock today about his. And I know his dogs sometimes get a little carried away with wanting to eat the fruit, but uh, not a big deal. Uh, Ginkgos are fascinating okay. trees, and you know they're they're a look back to prehistoric times, kind of like a sago palm is. Well, these are out at Pipe Creek, and I've got bottom land on the creek okay. that I could plant them into. So That's, I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll give them plenty of sun, and they don't really like super wet feed. I know that. Yeah. Just you and know, as a yeah. as a little three quarter inch caliper, I probably need to pay more attention to water, right? Well, you need to pay attention to water. You will need to keep the deer away from them at least until they get up to be fair sized. Okay. But uh, they should do just fine in your uh, alluvial soil out there. Okay. Well, well, thanks a lot, <laughs> and, and you be careful out there. All right. You do the same, Chris, and I know we'll talk again yeah. soon. Okay, bye. All right, let's go ahead and say good morning to Cindy, and then Jane will be next in line. Good morning, Cindy. Hi, Lovey. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How about you this morning? Well, I'm doing good. I'm calling you the Google Gardener. <laughs> I think you should get a Google site. <laughs> Make it easy for everybody. Well, yeah, it's a yeah, matter of time. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I've got a couple of couple of one is a weird question, but not too weird. I've, my my mother had a bird of paradise that I inherited, and um, I've took it to my house, and, and it's been here. And it bloomed at my house one time in the last few years. It quit blooming, and okay. I don't know what I'm doing wrong or what do I have to do to it. Now, this is what we call the tropical bird of paradise, the one that has sort of a a leaf that's sort of shaped like an ace of spades, has the wide but long leaf. Yeah. Okay, that that is a tropical bird of paradise, and you cannot let it freeze. But it needs to be outside in a pretty sunny spot, at least sun all morning. It'll tolerate hot sun, but you need to get that tree where it's outside, where it gets a lot of uh, morning sunlight and fertilize regularly, and it will go back to blooming for you. It can bloom at any time of the year, but if uh, if a bird of paradise, the true bird of paradise, Strelitzia is its botanical name, by the way, uh, if it's not blooming, uh-huh. it's not getting enough sun. Okay, now, it, it, it maybe had froze one time, but it came back. Yeah, better not to let it freeze. That'll set memory? it back. No, it, it'll come back. Okay, now I have another question about, um, I hear you talk to people all the time about moving plants and and digging them and moving them around. And my my ex-father-in-law had a nursery, and he always told me when you move a plant and you disturb the roots, you cut the top off. And I was wondering, um, why why do you not recommend that, or do you recommend that also? I recommend it to a limited extent. And here's what the deal is. A plant takes water up through its roots. It releases the water out through the leaves in what we call transpiration. If we Uh dig a plant and we do a lot of damage to its root system, 
obviously it will lose water faster than it can take it up, so then we reduce the size of the top a little bit. But um, by the same token, that tree needs its green leaves to absorb the sun's energy, to produce all the different things that it takes to stay alive so uh, it's not a matter of just cutting the top off i i try to balance how much of the top i remove with how much damage i've done to the roots and also the time of year if you're moving in the middle of the winter especially if it's a deciduous plant then that's going to have some time to get its roots reestablished before it gets real hot and dry in the summer so yes i do oh, I frequently see. recommend uh, where you have damaged the roots, that you do reduce the size of the top, but you sure don't ever want to take all the leaves off of it. I'd say, you know, cut it back by maybe a third, but you got to have some leaves on there to give the plant the strength to get reestablished oh, yeah. and grow again. So just be reasonable with it, and you'll be doing it just right. Okay. And now this other question. I made it out to Fannix Nursery, which was a beautiful place. I didn't have a lot of time to be there, and it was about... Was three weeks ago, and okay. uh, I bought the nematodes, and I, I know I had heard you say that it's, they last up to two weeks in the refrigerator. Well, they're right. still in the refrigerator. I never put them out, and also, but the question was, I, I'm, should I put them out anyway? And also, I read it on the internet, which gets me in more trouble reading all this stuff. Is that um. There should be a date on the package, and there wasn't a date on the package. And no, they I'm don't. Looking in the wrong place. They, well, you're looking on the internet, and that's the wrong place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what you know, yeah. you're. What happens is, if you're getting the ones on that little sponge, you're starting out with a million nematodes. In two weeks' time, yeah. you're still going to have a million nematodes. In three weeks' time, it might be down to 950,000. In four weeks' time, it might be down to 750,000. But you've still got plenty of good nematodes on there, so just get them out as quickly as you possibly can. Okay, and, and it doesn't matter that there's no date on the package? No, there's never a date on the package when you're getting the right variety because uh, well, yeah, uh, these... Well, yeah, the one with the sponge. Yeah, yeah. It uh, um, they they don't date them now. Fanex is an honest nursery, and they will tell you when they got them in. But it would be impossible. I mean, we sell. Oh, this week we'll probably sell two, three hundred packages of those nematodes, and we quite frankly, it's just we know we're going through them so fast that uh, it's just not worth the time to sit down and write a date on every one of them. But uh, it's oh, these, the dry form that doesn't work as well that's going to have a date on it. Uh, but these live oh, ones, see. no, you're never going to find a date on those. And uh, a good honest nursery like Phanix will tell you how long they've had them, and they won't sell them if they've uh, had them for too long. So I think you're fine. I just get them out as soon as you can, Cindy. Okay, and one, one little quick question. Um what was your recipe to kill weeds, and will it kill grass also? Because I have grass that I have not been able to get mowed yet, and I want to kill some of it. It will set grass back. The winter weeds and things like that, it will kill those, and it will burn Bermuda or St. Augustine, but it won't really kill it. The recipe is one gallon of strong vinegar, and to that yeah. you add two ounces, four tablespoons, two ounces of orange oil, and just a little squirt of dish soap, and uh, go for it. I mean, you know, the results overnight, you'll see everything just die. Uh, the really tough stuff will regrow. It may need to be sprayed a second time. But, uh, you know, I, was, I did this probably a week or ten days ago, and, I mean, I sprayed them the next morning. They were just shriveled up, grayish color, and uh, so... 
you know, get your nematodes out first and then make your vinegar and orange oil and go after your weeds. Okay, honey. Now, you're talking about white vinegar, correct? Yes. Yes. And okay. if you're buying it at the grocery store, get what they call pickling vinegar. That'll be 9%. Right. Um, otherwise, get uh, if you go to a nursery, you can probably get it up to 20%. But uh, uh, obviously, the stronger, the more effective it is. But uh, many people have good success with pickling vinegar from the grocery store. So that's probably where I'd start. I, th- I think y'all have to head back to Vandy's. Uh, <laughs> it's a beautiful place. Oh, it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, well, they're not okay, encouraging you people to... You're sure welcome. They're not encouraging people to come in over at Phoenix, but they are open, and you can call them or you can drive up, and uh, they'll give you curbside service on anything you need. All right, good morning again. Uh, nice morning in South Texas. A little few little rain showers moving through, but, boy, if it's like it was here at the nursery, it's uh, it's very, very brief. But we may get some showers, but overall, it's going to be a good day. I hope you will get out and uh, and enjoy. Man, I heard the craziest thing yesterday, that the Gulf of Mexico has been closed to fishing. Don, I don't know if you heard that or not, but uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife has shut down the Gulf of Mexico for fishing. Now, if that's not a little crazy, I don't know what is. You can make application to go to your favorite spot, but that's a whole other story. We're talking gardening. The outdoor show was an hour and a half ago, but just anyway, get out and garden. Get out with your family and take a walk. Get out and breathe some fresh air. It's going to be a great day for it. Uh, next in line on the phone lines is Jane. Uh, good morning, Jane. Hey, Bob. I have some problems. Oh, well, have- let's see if we can solve some of them. Oh, I'm sure we can solve these. All right. So here's the first situation. I have, I bought some of those fine copper canyon daisies and they made it through the freeze and they made it through the freeze and they made it through the freeze. And two of them are doing great, but two are not. And I believe the two that aren't are just in too shady a spot. That's quite possible. They love hot sun. All right. So I believe that I would like to try to move them because, you know, I got nothing to lose at this point. The poor things are suffering so much, but they are obviously stressed. Now, I heard you tell the person before, you know, if you want to move your plants, you want to balance the root damage with the leaf removal. So on these, I'm not going to remove any leaves because they don't have any leaves. But do you think it's worth trying to scoop them up and move them into a sunny location? You've got nothing to lose. They're not a big plant. It's not going to take a lot of effort. So, yes, I would very definitely move them, and i do it as soon as you possibly can. Realize, too, that on your two plants that are healthy, uh, you can certainly take and root cuttings from those. Get a pot of perlite and take some cuttings, root them, uh, and is. Oh, as long as it's warm, they will take root really very quickly. Uh, Copper Canyon Daisy, which is actually a perennial marigold, it's one of the easiest plants to propagate out there. So let's move your two that are not doing so well, and if for whatever reason they don't make it, let's start some more from your other two plants. You should be able to have all the Copper Canyon Daisy you want in your landscape. Yippee-yi-yo, check off number one. Okay, number two <laughs> trouble, smashed potatoes. Okay, so I had a good friend come out yesterday, and he's a great big person, and he was doing something I really needed done, keeping our social distance. He was way away from me, and he stomped on a few of my potatoes. They'll so come out. These They're setting back. Just let them. They'll be all right? 
they'll be all right. That's the thing about potatoes. That's why we plant them in February. Some years they freeze down, but they pop right back out. And, uh, you know, size 12 shoes are probably about like a freeze. It uh, knocked the top down on them. But as uh, long as you don't do it over and over, they should come back out without any trouble for you, Jane. All right. Two checked off. Number three. I have never planted sweet potatoes. I would like to be schooled. Well, you go to uh, some place that has good organic produce like uh, natural natural grocers or maybe uh, Whole Foods or maybe Sprouts and get yourself just a, you know, good-sized sweet potato. And you remember when we were kids, at least most of us, we would take that sweet potato, stick a couple of toothpicks in the side of it, and suspend it in a glass of water and sit there and watch it grow. And it produced produced all those big old vines coming up out of the top. Well, you let those vines start coming out, and then you take a sharp knife and you make a little V-shape. You take out a little bit of the potato at the base with that vine attached to it, Some people can just put them directly in the ground, and they'll keep on growing. I like to put those little things. They're called slips, S-L-I-P-S. I I like to put them in perlite and root them in the perlite and um, swim them when they get some roots on them. Go ahead and transfer them into the garden. Now, typically, we don't plant our slips out in the garden until late April or May. So you head on over to the grocer's uh you know, sometime in the next few days, get your sweet potatoes uh, started, get your slip started, and you'll be all set to grow sweet potatoes uh, when the weather gets uh, not just warm, but when it gets hot. That's the time we put the sweet potatoes out, and they are very, very easy to grow. They will take up some room, but uh, you can grow very good sweet potatoes. All right. Now, Bob, I, I was trying to write this down really fast. So I can get my sweet potato, and then you say, go ahead and do just like we did when we were kids and suspend it in water and let it sprout? Yeah, and then then you just take and you you cut just a little bit of potato. I just make kind of a little V-shaped wedge uh, at the base of that sprout. So now I've got my sprout, and I've got this little V-shaped bit of potato underneath it. Some people just plant that directly in the ground. I put it in a pot of perlite and let it form some roots and then transfer it to the ground. And when I do that, you know, I never lose one. I get 100% success with getting them going in the garden. And uh, then it's just water them, fertilize them, and wait for the tubers to form. Now, should I, is there a spacing that I should observe when I put them in the ground? I understand they take up space, but how much should I leave between my slips? Like, I I leave uh, 18 inches to 2 feet. All right. Now, recognize and... that one, one difference in sweet potatoes and the other types of potatoes, sweet potatoes do not just form their potatoes right at the bottom of the plant. They may be forming potatoes two or three or four feet away from the plant, so it's okay to have several plants in there not too far apart because you're going to have to kind of go looking for the potatoes anyway when it's time to dig them. Okay, so you do dig them. They will be under the ground. Yes, they will. All right, and how deep do I plant my little slips? Uh, just so the roots are under the ground and the vines sticking up above, maybe half an inch or so. All right. Well, you know, I'll probably think of more questions once I start, but I'm not going to keep the line tied up while I try to understand this. Oh, I have two more questions. Real quickly, um, please. 
All right. Uh, the uh, is it okay to plant my green beans now? Yes, it is. All right. Well, I'll let you go. Thank you so much. You're sure welcome, Jane. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Let's uh, bring up line number one, and that would be James. Good morning, James. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing this morning? Oh, just uh, just enjoy sitting here looking out the window of uh, at a pretty garden instead of just looking at a blank wall in the studio. So uh, I guess we'll be doing that, and it's a lot of fun, really. You may hear a little bit of noise in the background with cats talking and dogs walking and phones ringing, but it just means it's live radio. Well, that's great. Yes, sir. Uh, How can I help her? What What is you want to talk about today? Um, about mulching the uh, yellow squash bed. They're about a hundred and thirty yep. foot long. Wow! And yep. uh, I transplanted squash out at four foot spacing this year. Three foot's just a little too close for me. <laughs> yeah, the way you grow it, I can understand that. Well, it, they, them plants get so big, and then you jungle trying to pick that um i was talking to Stuart uh out in medina and getting some advice on mulching and uh he's he's recommending a generous amount of uh the uh growing green mm-hmm. on the ground before you put the the straw down and we run the the wheat straw and oat straw through the hammer mill because it's old and wet yeah yeah, straight it up. Real nice product. Yeah. Then he's recommended that if if you want the mulch to uh, compost down, put the growing green on top of the mulch. But that makes that makes good sense. We're covering the ground with it, and then mulching on top of it. I think you're. I think you're just fine. What kind of precautions do you take with the vine borers, or are they a problem for you? I've never ever had them. So I don't know what uh, every, what the big deal is uh, about the the vine borers. I know that the community garden down there in in uh, shirts just add up with them, yeah. but they don't have a big planting. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I went for many years without ever having them in my garden, and then all of a sudden, when they showed up, you know, they have they have been an ongoing problem i've moved where i'm planting my squash a little bit and i'm going to be real interested to you know see if it's an issue this year and uh i the only thing i ever found that really truly worked was uh injecting the bt into the stem but hey maybe if you have a bigger operation you know malcolm beck used to tell us the big operations never seem to have a problem it's just the little guys that do so i don't know maybe there's strength in numbers or something but i was just curious if it was a problem for you glad to hear that it's not no, I've, I've never had them. Uh, there's a uh, uh, a lady that I give the transplants to that has problems with them. Uh, uh-huh. We cover the tr- we cover the uh, the transplants with a row cover until they you know get up to where they can take the wind and the sun. Sure. And, you know they get pretty good sized. I don't know if that's the reason or not, but I've I've never had the boars. I'm glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Um. That that Medina product, um, that growing green when I when I mulch, I'm not uh, I'm not stingy with that. I I cover the ground pretty good. It's yeah. um, it's a composted product, so it oh, probably yeah. adds a lot of microbes to that uh, uh, that area uh, right underneath that mulch layer. 
Well, and it, I don't think there's any doubt that it does. And uh, you probably know this, but for our listeners that don't, Medina is actually, they set up a pelletizing mill. They spent a lot of money. And, you know, they used to buy the base product for the Growing Green out of North Carolina from Purdue over there. And uh, then they just sort of had to coat it. But uh, being the progressive company that Medina is, they spent a lot of money, built their own pelletizing mill so that they can add the green sand and the humates and everything else to that uh, poultry litter and then pelletize it. So it's always been a good product, and it's an even better product since they're actually making it over in Hondo right now. So I'm with you. It's it's one of the best on the markets, and uh, and I use it liberally, too, and I don't think you'll ever hurt anything with it except maybe your bank account if you get too carried away, but uh, it sure is a good product for vegetables, flowers, or almost anything else. Yeah, uh, what I like about it is it uh, it's good earthworm food for my oh, earthworms. Uh, it really is, yeah. the mulch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm, well, that's, uh, we're just having fun and mulching and just using a lot of Medina products and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just having a lot of fun. While we're waiting out all this other stuff. James, you keep up the good work and uh, keep us posted on what's going on in your operation, and uh, I know we'll talk again soon. And, Don, let's go ahead and bring up Grant. Uh, good morning, Grant. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have uh, oak leaf rollers. Uh-huh. And, and, and uh, I have uh, four large 30-foot oak trees, uh, pretty bad infestation um, all over the driveway. Um, you know, they fall, and right. you know, they're on the driveway. And trying to decide what to do, um, leave alone, tree will be fine. Uh, I have Edder coming next week to take a look. Okay. What's well, opinion? yeah, you know what you should have done, and that was put out the trick of Grandma Wasp about a month ago, and then you wouldn't be having these guys because mm. uh, they it, it's just always a guessing game because the trick of Grandma, they destroy the eggs of the leaf rollers before they ever hatch out, and so that means that once they've hatched out, it's too late to go after them, and so I would tell you in future years, it's you know you're going to spend under ten dollars for I think five or six thousand you know little wasps and so I, we always recommend especially if you've had problems in the past to put out the uh, little trichogramma beforehand and don't ever let them get started. Uh, mm-hmm. Your trees are not going to die. I mean they're going to look nasty for a while. They're going to put on new leaves and it's hard and probably not really a good idea to try to spray. A big tree because you know i just hate spraying any kind even natural pesticides i hate spraying them way up in the air so at this point if you you know wanted to get a sprayer and spray some of the lower limbs and things like that just to protect the lower foliage while the tree reliefs that's that's a nice thing if there is any nice thing about the leaf rollers is that they are relatively brief they eat so much of that young leaf material coming out but uh our oak trees are relatively strong. We have had some good rains, and I have no doubt that your trees are going to come right back out. But they, they will be slightly weakened, and like I say, just put it on your calendar for sometime toward the end of January, 1st of February next year. I mean, they're saying, you know, a great big tree, maybe one little carb per tree or six cards per acre. So uh, 
you know, even if you've got lots of land around, it's, it's what all the pecan growers are doing okay. uh, to protect the crop. Nobody sprays pecan trees anymore because these little guys stop the trick of grandma. And if we make a second release sometime in May, they'll totally take care of the webworm. So they're just a, they're a neat little guy. They're almost microscopic. You can see them if you have good eyes, but they don't sting. There are no negatives to them. But what they do is parasitize and kill the eggs of um these little guys before they ever get started. So um, I, if I were you, I'd just tough it out and let Ed take a look and tell you if he sees anything else your trees need. But uh, this isn't this isn't a fatal problem with them. It's just a nuisance and just sets them back a little bit. It's a nuisance, all right. That's for sure. It's, uh, it's a... <laughs> and so you said the first application of the wasps uh, a month ago. Yeah, probably uh, maybe more like six weeks ago. We usually aim for doing it sometime uh, the end of January or the first half of February. Okay, it's very it's very interesting. I mean, this four these four trees have it. Tree across the street has it. Uh, down the street, there's a tree that looks you know a little you know like it's got it. And and then now, of course, as I'm driving around, I'm looking at every oak tree I drive by. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, it seems as though, um, you know, probably a very mild winter uh, has something to do with it, I guess. Uh, I think it does. And the fact that the, you know, the adult of that, and it's a little moth, uh, they go around sometime later in the spring. They've already laid the eggs for next year's crop of leaf rollers. And sometimes um you know we will have enough of a natural population of trichogramma to keep them under control some years like you say the very mild winter and they're just a tremendous number of eggs out there some years are going to be a problem but uh it's it's just a totally safe and inexpensive uh kind of insurance for your trees so uh, we generally recommend, especially if you've had them around once, you know the adults were there to lay eggs for next year's crop. So uh, just if we remember to put out the little trichogrammas in uh, late winter, early spring, then we sure don't have to worry about it. Okay. And you uh, sell them at your uh, nursery? We do. I think most nurseries do. We get, okay. golly, we get a fresh shipment every week on those, just like the nematodes. But like I say, it's, it's too late this year because they've already hatched. And the little wasp. Now, you're going to see pretty soon, you're going to see your paper wasp, your yellow jackets and the red and black wasp and all of those. They're going to come in and kill those little guys in large numbers. But, uh, yeah, um, there were red wasps on it yesterday. Uh, yeah. You know, already, already, just not enough. Just you not know, enough of them. I'd like a lot of red wasps, but uh, <laughs> still, uh, you know, still waiting for those. But, uh, anyways, I thank you for the advice and, uh, We'll leave it alone and see what happens. Oh, we look forward to talking again, Grant. Sure Thank appreciate you, the call this morning. Uh-huh. Thank Bye. you, sir. Goodbye. All right, back to gardening. We're going to talk uh, in order to Faye, Elaine, Mimi, and Judy. I guess that uh, we've kind of got the ladies' hour going here, and we start with Faye. Good morning, Faye. Uh, good morning, Bob. Can you good hear morning. Me? I hear you just fine. Good, good. Um, I had a request that you give a uh, refresher on uh, the BT, the Spinosad, um, kind of the bug arsenal, and uh, <laughs> with, 
<laughs> would you do that? I certainly will. You know, it actually, if if the world had stayed normal, we would have been doing a seminar on that very topic. But, of course, we've had to cancel our seminars. So, basically, um, when we're trying to control caterpillars, we have two choices uh, besides the old foot on the caterpillar method. But um, the first is what we call the BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, which we spray, we coat the foliage with it. We add a little bit of molasses to the spray to make it more effective. And then the caterpillar that takes a bite out of the foliage that has BT on it, it's a stomach poison, and it kills them within a 24-hour period. We want to be very careful where we use it because it is non-selective. It kills all caterpillars, including you know, monarchs and things that we don't want to kill. So we only use it where we have a problem and um, and we only spray, you know, the things that, that are likely to be affected. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does have some staying power. So if you spray, especially if you follow up with molasses sprays later, it can remain effective in the garden for a long time. I tend to use it on my tomato plants because the only caterpillars that get on the tomatoes are not the beautiful butterflies. And many times I just spray once and I'm covered for the whole season because I do follow-up sprays uh, with the molasses. Now, the other option is to use spinosad, which is a contact killer, which you basically need to get it on the caterpillars to kill them. But it uh, again, it's a natural product based around soil bacteria. And it does a good job, but once again, we only spray where we have a problem. And I actually, my favorite form of spinosad is what they call spinosad soap. Uh, the advantage to spinosad is that it takes care of many other things like stink bugs and aphids and most all of our garden pests as well as the caterpillars. But uh, the disadvantage, like I say, is that it uh, you have to actually directly get it onto the bug for it to be real effective. And so... That's that's how we handle the caterpillar issue. Uh, on pill bugs or roly polies or whatever you want to call them, um, we I like using a bait for them, which is called Sluggo Plus. Once again, the active ingredient is spinosad, but uh, it is totally safe for people and pets. But once again, you don't want to overdo it because it kills uh, the bad uh, kills the bad snails, but unfortunately kills the good snails as well. So we just put it out where we have a real problem. Also control pill bugs with uh, kind of a pill bug trap, which is going to be a slick-sided jar that we can bury down into the soil, kind of up to the neck of it. So the pill bugs put a piece of apple or a piece of lettuce in the bottom or sometimes just water, Pill bugs go crawling in to get to it. They can't get back out, and you get rid of large numbers at a time that way. So those are the principal garden pests. Now, a lot of people are seeing June bugs around. The June bugs are flying early this year, and there are lots and lots of them. So we do recommend anybody who is starting to see June bugs around your porch lights, get those beneficial nematodes out because the June bugs are laying the eggs in the grass. That produces the grub worms that do all the damage. So anybody seeing very many June bugs, we would highly recommend getting the beneficial nematodes out in the near future. And I guess those are the principal insect pests that we're we're dealing with right now. Does that cover the ones you were interested in? Well, it sure does, Bob. Um, I've got to order fresh uh, BT and spinosad. Um, 
both of them probably have a a, a, a lifetime. Uh, well, they have um, a very long shelf life. I remember when old Barney Grimm was alive and head of Greenlight. Barney told me that uh, BT, if as long as it hasn't gotten too hot, probably has a shelf life of thirty years. The spinosad is probably at least two or three years. The the thing we have to really be using fresh is neem. Neem only has a shelf life of maybe six months, but uh, BT has a long shelf life, and spinosad has a fairly long shelf life. Well, gosh, that's good. I may I I may have an at least a good start for the year. Well, those Absolutely. are my questions, Bob. Thank you for the refresher, and um, I'll go accordingly. Thank you. You're sure welcome, Faith. You stay safe and uh, have a good weekend. And, Don, let's go ahead and get Elaine in here before the bottom of the hour. Good morning, Elaine. Hi. Hi there. Hello? Ooh, Elaine, you accidentally cut yourself off. Uh, Give us a call back, and uh, we will go on to Mimi. (laughs) Good morning, Mimi. Good morning, Bob. I only have one simple question. Is it too late to transplant from a pot my lemon tree into the ground? Absolutely not. It's a perfect time to do it because when you're going from a pot to the ground, you're not disturbing the roots. So Uh you can actually do that any time of the year, Beamy. But uh, now is a real good time to do it because Uh this way it's going to have some time to get roots established before the summer's heat. Hit. Mm-hmm. So uh, anytime after 9 o'clock, you get out there and get that lemon tree into the ground. And, Bob, another question. Would you come over and dig the hole? You Green know, the social, social distancing thing, I would love to. I would love to, Mimi, but but uh, just uh, we don't want the mayor mad at us, so uh, I guess you're going to have right. to dig your own hole this time. <laughs> you are right. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. And have a good weekend, and thank you, Mimi. Okay. Goodbye. Ah, you know, people are always thanking me for being here, but I want to thank you for being out there and for calling because that's what makes the show fun. We're going to talk to uh, Judy and Carolyn and Sherry and Tracy. Those are my four callers that are occupying all four phone lines right now. But uh, again, just, uh, you know, we gardeners know that we're going to get through this. And <laughs> it's like I've been saying, if, if for whatever reason I had to stay totally at home, I might get caught up in my gardening for the first time in many, many years. Let's get back to gardening right now, though, with Judy. Uh, good morning, Judy. Hi, Bob. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm pretty good. I have a question good. for you. Um, my, I have a little Joey and it, I've had it for um, going on two years now. Um, it was blooming earlier, but I don't see any blooms on there now. Uh, and tell me, the, the tell is, me what kind of plant once again? It's a Joey avocado. Oh, Joey avocado. Okay, very good. I was thinking baby kangaroo here, and uh, no, Joey <laughs> avocado makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that would be nice, but I don't have yeah. kangaroo. Yeah, uh, yeah. On one section of the tree. There, the leaves look like they've been burnt on the end uh-huh. and kind of uh, curled like they want to fall off. Okay. I don't know what that is. I mean, I don't know if it's a pest. Um, I, I doubt that it's a pest. There Occasionally we see a caterpillar on an avocado, but nah, that that's about the only one. Um my suspicion is, you know, earlier 
we had some pretty cold winds. We had some uh, days, it's hard to remember back, but uh, when it was very chilly down to low 40s and we had high wind, yeah. the, the humidity was very dry. And quite frankly, we call it burn, but what it actually is is dehydration on the leaves. Uh, and I oh. suspect that that's all you're looking at. A couple of things I would do, I'd be sure you keep up with your fertilizing, and at this point I'd be using a good liquid. I would uh, periodically, you know, you don't want to keep them too wet. You want to water thoroughly, but you want them to get dry an inch deep before you water again. But having said that, you can take your hose and just spray up and down the trunk and the limbs, let them absorb some moisture directly through the bark, and that's going to help them out a great deal. But I, I don't think it's a pest and um, I think it is almost certainly just environmental and your joy should go right on growing and hopefully some of those flowers you're seeing now will turn into avocados. Yeah, um, I have another question on my lemon tree. I noticed that underneath some of the limbs uh, there are little black, uh, real tiny, it looks like dirt. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't know what that is. I, I try to rub it off and it just Here's like dirt, but what it most likely is, you know, lemon trees, their principal pests are aphids and sometimes of uh-huh. uh, citrus scale. And what happens is the bugs leave behind little droplets of a sugary excrement, and then the black mold grows on the sugar. And so mm. that's what. Um, uh, you know, that's what it usually is. I don't think it's a severe problem. I would wipe it off, wash it off any way you can, but I sure wouldn't lose any sleep over it. Okay. So I wouldn't use spinosad or anything like that on it? I don't think you need to. I mean, if it seems to spread, if you start seeing a lot more of it, then uh, maybe I would give it one spraying with the spinosad soap, but I doubt that that's going to be an issue. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Bob. You take care. You are certainly welcome. I appreciate the call. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye. All right, uh, Don, I believe we're up to Carolyn, if that's right. And um, uh, good morning, Carolyn. Oh, good morning. Uh, I have uh, one question. Uh, I was trimming my uh, Burford Hollies yesterday. Okay. uh, They've got a lot of yellow leaves on one of them. And uh, when I look at the leaves on the back of some of them, they have uh-huh. it's like a white on there, and then little little I don't the bugs don't look alive; they look like little little white or black. Yeah, what what they are is a scale that gets on Burford mm-hmm. hollies, and mm-hmm. if you do, they wipe off easily. Do oh, they feel dry and powdery, or do they have some liquid to them? Oh, I don't think they have any liquid. They're just dry. Mm-hmm. Okay, if they're dry, then they're dead. But if uh-huh. you see them starting, you know, your Burfords are about to put on a bunch of new growth. If you see those mm-hmm. on the newer growth, then you probably will need to spray with spinosad soap or possibly even neem. But at this point, I don't think you need to do a thing. When they're dry, and, you see, dead scale looks very much like live scale. And when they're dry and powdery, we know that they're dead scale and uh, not a thing in the world you really need to do. Oh, okay. I didn't want to lose the whole um, holly bush. Oh, no, no, you're not about to do that. You do your part with watering and fertilizing your Burford holly. You'll be... 
pretty as ever. The scale, as long as we keep it under control, it's a minor issue to Burford Holly. Burford Holly is a strong mm-hmm. plant, and uh, as long as we keep it reasonably under control, then uh, then it should be a problem. It sounds like the what you have on your plants is already dead, so stop worrying about it and find something else to worry about. There's plenty of other things out there today. Okay, thank you, and next on to on to the next caller. Okay, <laughs> All right, Carolyn, thank you very much. All right, hey, Elaine managed to get back through. We had her on a few minutes ago, and her phone cut out on her just as we were bringing her up. So I'm going to put her on first, and then we'll talk to Sherry and Tracy. But right now, good morning, Elaine. Good morning. Glad you got back through. <laughs> Yes, me too. My question is about fire ants in the garden. I guess I have them in my telephone, too. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I'm using uh, the the formula with the Medina orange oil and the Dawn dish look, uh, washing liquid right. and the gallon uh-huh. of water for the fire ants. Right. How long after I use that, pouring it over a mound, am I able to plant something in that soil? As soon as it dries. Okay, so it doesn't hurt anything I want to put in there after trying to kill the ants? No, it doesn't hurt anything at all. And if you're in the bigger hurry, now you can't do it till 9 o'clock because that's when I go off the air. But uh, if you're <laughs> anxious to do it before then, uh, you could just dilute it down with some water. You know, I usually start out with the come and get it bait because uh, it takes such a small amount. My Come and get it might take a day or two, but the nice thing about that bait is that typically they take it down and feed the queen, so ultimately it destroys the whole mound. With the orange oil, it works, but sometimes, because some of these mounds can have you know, several million ants in them, and what they call the super mounds can have more than one queen. So hard, it's sometimes hard to wipe them all out with one application. But uh, again, I do both. Uh, and um, uh, to, to answer your question, once once it's dried, you're not going to have anything in there that's going to hurt your plants. But if fire ants are an ongoing problem, you might get a little bit of come and get it. Try that first, and then any mounds that it doesn't kill, then you can go to, to the orange oil mix, which is just a little more trouble, but uh, to, to, totally safe. Okay. Now, to try to deter them, is molasses a good thing to use then after you've drawn these things just to keep the ants away it seems to work really well and for whatever reason the dry molasses seems to work a little bit better than the liquid just uh, uh get it scattered around that. yeah it uh any good nursery is going to have it i like okay. the nature's creation brand because some dry molasses products tend to turn into a substance harder than rock, it seems like, when they're exposed to the air. I don't know what kind of magic they use, but uh, Nature's Creation formulates it so that it stays loose and open so you don't have to use it all at once. And uh, they have it both in a little, I think it's a four-pound little jug, and then uh, we get it in 40-pound bags as well. But uh, uh, you just, you'll find it at just about any good nursery and just broadcast it by hand. And it's worked very well for my partner and I, uh, both in our respective gardens, to 90, say, I'd say 98% of the ants it keeps away. Okay. Well, great. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> so, I think you'll be I successful with it, Elaine. Okay. Thank you so much. You have a great day. You do the same. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Then next up will be Sherry, and I'll say good morning, Sherry. Good morning. How are you good morning. today? 
I'm doing extremely well. Glad to be here. And uh, like I say, you may hear a little noise in the background, but we're broadcasting. Uh, they're not trying to keep most people out of the radio station these days. So I have the pleasure of broadcasting over here at Shades of Green, which is a lot more fun. So I'm doing well. Oh, great. Well, that was one of my questions. Are you open or did you have to shut down because of the stay-at-home thing? We only exclude people who don't follow social distancing. <laughs> so we, we, are, we have been declared an essential industry. And in all honesty, we're asking people who have flown in from around the country, maybe be better if you just uh, didn't come in right now. But as long the city will let us stay open so long as we're very rigidly being careful about uh, keeping our social distancing from other people and from employees. But uh, we're here and happy to be here and plan to go on being here. Okay. And do you have any beneficial nematodes? We got in 100. In fact, I think we got in 200 of them yesterday. So I believe, uh, let me look over my shoulder. Roberta, we still have beneficial nematodes, don't we? She's going to run, take a look in the refrigerator, but I'm virtually certain that we that we do have plenty of them. We we certainly did uh, yesterday, so I think we do. And in about another 15 seconds, she's going to come back in and tell me. So this is the other fun thing too. I don't have to call the nursery and say, "Hey, do we have this?" I just uh, we both come into work very early in the morning, so I can get you an instant answer to that question, which is, we have plenty. Great. And what time are you opening? Uh, 9 o'clock, we're doing 9 to 4 Monday through Saturday and 10 till 4 on Sundays. Okay. And uh, we got uh, some rain last night. So <laughs> if I put them down, if I come this morning when you open and I put them down now, do I need to turn the sprinkler system on for a short time? Or it depends. How, how much rain did you get? We got a hard rain but a very brief rain here at the nursery. And when I left home... Uh, it hadn't even started to rain there. So if you see the, the nematode moves in a film of water, it has to, right. it has to have a liquid to move around in. And if you feel like your soil got pretty well moistened, then you're good to go. Um, we always recommend just at least spraying them briefly to wash them off the foliage. But unless you got more rain than we did, I'd run that sprinkler for 10 or 15 minutes just to be sure they're well dispersed through the soil. Okay. Awesome. That was my question, so I will see you uh, this morning. We will look forward to helping you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so much. Certainly. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, Don, I hope I didn't lose track. I think Tracy is up next. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, then good morning. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have two questions. The first one, I have a I don't know if it's called purple sage or silver sage, but it's the bush that has, it's a silver sage with the purple yeah, flowers uh, on it. No, ex Yeah, we, we call it Sinisa. Proper name is Leucophyllum, but purple sage is fine by me. Okay, perfect. There's these uh, gray-looking pods on it, and uh -huh. I've, ne I've never seen that on them, but they're all over the bush, and the, the bush bushes they're losing their foliage and i'm wondering if you could tell me if that has any bearing on the on okay. the plant are they are they kind of like a little oh maybe three quarters inch long maybe a third of an inch wide and they're kind of they're they're you can you can squeeze them they're not uh super soft but they're they're like kind of a little bag yes 
Okay, that is almost certainly, it's a caterpillar that we call, appropriately enough, a bagworm. Uh, you would see it if you took your scissors and cut it open. And that little guy, the, the caterpillar, moves around eating the leaves as they go. This is one case where I would suggest spraying them with what we call BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. Um, you okay. uh, uh, you spray that on, and then as they move around, whenever they consume a leaf that has the uh, BT in it, then, uh, um, you know, they're... They eat it, they die, and they that's the end of them. Uh, full strength BT? Well, uh, diluted according to the instructions. There's more than one brand out there. The one that we use is about an ounce per gallon, and it makes it much, much better if, uh, if you add a little bit of li- liquid molasses to it, maybe a teaspoon okay. per gallon of spray. Okay, perfect. And then my second question, when you're grafting, seeing citrus um my husband and i are going to attempt it do you need to have grafting tape or is there anything else you can use you could use masking tape i guess Uh, the grafting tape is you know it's just a little bit stronger stays in place you don't want something as strong as say duct tape or gorilla tape or things like that but you're basically uh you're just holding the two pieces the rootstock and the scion we're just holding them in place until they can fuse and sort of grow together so no it doesn't have to be grafting tape but uh it needs to be something that will will bind there but won't stay around forever which would girdle the the union point there perfect and grafting tape is sold at most nurseries uh not most nurseries here in san antonio i it would be the, the nurseries that carry the large number of fruit trees. I would call Fanix, F-A-N-I-C-K, if you need their phone number. Of course, it's 210 area code, but it's 648-1303. And uh, they're probably going to be your best place in San Antonio to find the grafting tape. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And you do the same. I sure appreciate the call, Tracy. Thank you. Goodbye. All right, uh, Don, am I reading it right? Is uh, Jan the only person we have up waiting? Is is that where we are? Okay, then uh, let's bring up Jan, and we'll probably finish up the hour with Jan. Good morning. Hi, Bob. Um, Hi there. I have a little insect that I, I have a little insect that I'm trying to identify. I'm looking at a picture of it. It's on my Satsuma orange and on my Myers lemon. And also okay. I've seen it on some other flowering plants that I have on the patio. It's it's a basically an, a deep orange bug. It flies, and it has a, a brown or black back. Okay. And it's, do you see numbers of them or just a yes, very occasionally see? Okay. I see quite a few. Mm-hmm. And do they have uh, black legs? Yes. Okay, they are probably the uh, larval state of a stink bug, and they as they are damaging. They're not just absolutely horrible, but um, I would want to get rid of them, and I would spray them with the spinosad soap. Spinosad. I mean, this is okay. yeah, spinosad soap. Know. Okay. I can do that. That's safe for you. That's safe for the tree. Just uh, only spray it where you're seeing these guys. But uh, and they're easy to kill at this stage of life. Once they 
fully metamorphize, whatever word I'm looking for, till they go through their metamorphosis to uh, uh, form the adults. The adults are a little bit substantially harder to kill. So get them now in their larval stage and uh, should be a big problem to you at all. Okay. Would it usually take more than one spray to get them? No, no usually one spray gets them. Just one okay. spraying does it. Now, I will tell you that where you just see one or two, there is a similar little insect, which is called an assassin bug, and those are the good guys, but they're very solitary, whereas this uh, larval stink bug state, they tend to run around in fairly big numbers. So um, I'm pretty sure what you're looking at are the stink bugs. So if you're just seeing one here or there, they're a little bit different. Those are probably the good guys, and I wouldn't worry about them. But where you see that, just kind of that whole pack of the little orange guys with the black legs and all running around, do what you can to get rid of them, and you'll be glad you did when summertime comes here. Okay. Thank you very much, Bob. Have a great day. Well, you do the same. Thank you. Sure appreciate it. Mm-hmm. It's the time in the show when we get to say welcome to the Dirt Doctor. Good morning, Howard Garrett. Good morning. Everybody safe down there? Everybody seems to be doing fine, sitting uh, here looking out the window at the back of the nursery here. Roberta's sitting here right next to me to say good morning to you as well. Good morning, morning, Howard. How are y'all faring up there? Y'all doing okay up there? A little stir-crazy, you know. uh, We had our first uh, case of uh, somebody we know uh, coming down with the uh, disease, so kind of gets your attention when it gets that close. But in general, everybody's good. That's great. It's uh, We as gardeners, we certainly know how to... uh, (laughs) <laughs> we certainly can find plenty of things to do. I, I do. I think the people I feel sorriest for are the people with uh, kids that are at that age that they still expect to be entertained, that they don't entertain themselves too well. And I can see how that would be a, a real tough time for some folks. Well, it's interesting. I've had to do some errand running, and it's uh, one nice thing is that the traffic is very is very nice out there. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of people walking and a lot of dogs. I've seen I've, I've never seen so many dogs uh, as I've seen the last few uh, days, but uh, people are seem to be hanging in there uh, pretty well. Uh, y'all were talking about hydrogen peroxide that, uh, earlier in the show, and it reminded me of something. Logan called me about some experiment she was uh, trying to do or was doing with her students using hydrogen peroxide and some other things and creating a, a reaction. And I uh, had forgotten I hadn't sent her that entry that we have in, on DirtDoctor.com about all the formulas for hydrogen peroxide. And I probably need to put it out to everybody in the, in my column uh, and update it. And she asked me a question that I thought I'd run by you two guys that I don't know the answer to, and that is how do you make hydrogen peroxide more concentrated than just the regular stuff? In fact, how do you make it at all? You know, it's... I don't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little brown bottle. That's all I it's, have. Yeah, I I think they actually make it at a much higher strength and then dilute it down because, as you know, that what is it, twenty seven percent, thirty percent, something like that. Um, that's pretty caustic. You want to be very careful handling it. So, I golly, I I really don't know how they. Of course, all you know, they're just adding another. 
oxygen molecule to it, so it's H2O2 instead of H2O, but um, there's it's some magical chemistry. I, I really don't know the answer to that. Well, I looked it up real quick, and it's, it's pretty fascinating. One way of making it is uh, making it from natural gas, and there's a there's a website uh, called the Union of Concerned Scientists that are worried about its uh, effect on uh, on air pollution. When it breaks down, it creates methane and a whole bunch of things. So this is just creating another thing for me to look into, spend some time on, and try to learn uh, about. I guess the the stronger stuff is just a greater concentration of the hydrogen and oxygen atoms. But how you would do that, how that would, uh, maybe we've got some <laughs> chemists out there listening that uh, could fill us in and help us out with that. That would certainly, that would certainly be an interesting question. I, I don't know, but, uh, you know, actually one thing I, uh, I had down to ask you, we talked last year, I know we were talking about some of the really tough algaes. And the fact that, uh, you know, that it was one of the few things that would work on uh, some of the algaes in the swimming pool. One of the fascinating things to me is that uh, even at moderate concentration, it seems to be totally harmless to the fish and uh, doesn't seem to bother lilies and a lot of the other plants that we might have in our water gardens. Not at all. If anything, it's beneficial. I use it. Uh, I have little uh, guppies, the little uh, gambusias I've put in an uh-huh. aquarium in my office. And, of course, we've got... The great big uh, koi and got the regular size goldfish, and we've used it uh, a lot there. It uh, knocked out the uh, mustard algae in the swimming pool when we had had it pop up, and everybody told me the only way to do it was the strong chemicals and all the stuff, you know, like you've heard. And it knocked it out with one application. It was pretty amazing, but <clears throat> you have to use the strong stuff. I'm sure what Water Garden Gems has is either 28, 27, 28, or 35 percent kind of the real strong stuff kind of range is in that range uh-huh and you can use it by the way at that real strong stuff if you get it you can use it you got to be like you said really careful handling it but you can use it like one ounce per gallon of water and uh that'll give you the uh, the formulation that you use to spray on the ground for the flocculation and also used for a cleaning uh, product around the house, which I'd recommend very much over the bleach that a lot of people are using. And, uh, I, w- I wonder if it does anything to mosquito larvae. Do you think it, it has any effect on them, or has anybody tried that? Well, it'll, it'll kill insects. You know, I was telling uh-huh. Logan uh, when she was working up what she she was going to do with her kids the next thing. Hydrogen peroxide ranges from something that people use medicinally, take internally and put in their eyes and have, you know, for years and years and years, up to a solid product that is rocket fuel, literally. Oh, wow. And everything in between, you know, like we're talking about the the 35%. If people don't know, if you spill that on you, it'll turn your skin white and burn you, oxidizes your skin. It's very, very painful. I suspect, though, that don't ordinary dishwashing gloves, uh, don't they pretty much give you protection? Because I don't think it's a oh, yeah. solvent. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not too hard to protect yourself, but it's really important to do. Yeah, you need to be careful about your eyes probably more than anything. Sure. If you splash it in your eyes, it could really burn. It probably wouldn't be 
you know, long-lasting damage, but it would sure be painful for oh man for a while. We don't we don't want to go there. I know Roberta's got a pretty good sized tank out back that everything in the world comes and drinks from, and you know fights an allergy problem on that every now and then. So you're saying maybe one ounce per gallon or something like that is all you need to control that? Yeah, one ounce per gallon uh, to control the diseases and to uh, uh, clean things around the house would be uh, would be plenty. But like I said, we've got that. Entire. I need to put it. I, I noticed the only way it shows up on DirtDoctor.com is a hydrogen peroxide formulas newsletter, and I need huh. to put it in a separate uh, entry so people know that that's the the most current one. And I'll take a look at it and, and update it too. Everybody, you you can go to DirtDoctor.com and just type in hydrogen peroxide formulas, and it'll come right up. But it says newsletter. It, it was a an update of the formula list that I put in a newsletter about a year ago or something. That's good to know. Very good. Well, it's and it's fun to have something that just has such a wide range of uses uh, uh, because, you know, we've, we found that you can spray it on squash when they get that mosaic virus. And uh, are you all still using it on uh, Rose Rosette? Or are you seeing much Rose Rosette uh, right now? Oh, yeah, we're still seeing it pop up. <clears throat> it's, it's part of the uh, Rose Rosette. A lot of people think that's all that I recommend, but you've really got to do the entire sick tree treatment. And you've got, when a plant is really susceptible to it, it will come back. But I've noticed that, and I've got it on some of mine, it's almost like somebody came by and intentionally inoculated mine, which is fine. <laughs> it's given me a reason to experiment with it. But you you can literally, and, and I learned this originally from Mike McGrath, you know, the old guy with uh, uh Organic Gardening Magazine, crazy right. writer. Uh-huh. He's he's kind of a friend of mine. He lives up in Pennsylvania, but he uh, re- read one of the things I had written about Rose Rosette, and he sent me an email. And he said, "Howard, you're right." He said we had it show up on a, in a couple of places up here, and we just trimmed it out, and it went away. You know, it didn't come back. So pruning it out on a regular basis and having the hydrogen peroxide in a little spray bottle to to spritz the pruning tools and the cut is the long-term management of it. But to cure it, you've got to do the entire uh, procedure. It's very, very important. I think the single most important step of it, just like with trees and various things, uh, oak wilt included, is to get that flare dramatically exposed. A lot of people think, well, it's a shrub. We don't need to worry about the flare, but any woody plant you do. Yeah, the only thing I think you don't, worry too much about or sagos and true palms because their trunk structure is so different but uh yeah, sick tree treatment right. <laughs> yeah sick tree treatment you, your plants don't have to be sick to benefit from the sick tree treatment but you know there's uh i'm kind of keeping an eye out at this radio station and wherever i go about what people are spraying and using and they what they use at the country club and different businesses is primarily uh, a bleach and then that commercial uh, product that smells so bad. I'm drawing a blank on the name of it or the things they're using the most. And Hydrogen peroxide is just really a whole lot better way to go. And it's a good, it's totally effective against viruses as well as bacteria and other things, is it not? Well, that's what Rose Rosette is, see, and, and the first yeah. thing yeah. that we ran into uh, experimenting with, with hydrogen peroxide was that ro- that uh, mosaic virus on a, mm-hmm. uh, a uh, 
truck farm guy called my called the show one day and he said he had it hit the his entire crop and he called me back and it cleared it up within a couple of weeks it just completely eliminated and then we told people to use it on curly top on tomatoes and it worked on that and that's viral so it <laughs> right. apparently will work on uh, any kind of uh, pathogen the fungi are the easiest to control yep. and then the bacteria you know like fire oh by the way it works so good on fire blight, it's unreal and, and you, you don't have to spray it when the plant's in bloom, like is you know we've all recommended for years and years using the uh, the other stuff. You can spray it whenever you you have a problem and cut the you know the uh, uh, disease part of the plant out, and it'll be clean as it can be after that. And safe for the bees and everything else. It's you know it's 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 close to I guess our newest miracle product almost you call it because it it just doesn't have any any negatives to it but it seems to work so well on such a such a wide wide range of things so good stuff I, and you know down here i'm suspect that dallas is about as crazy as we are with people cleaning stuff off the grocery store shelves it's uh, almost impossible to find alcohol very hard to find a lot of the disinfecting wipes and things like that but uh, i suspect that people could make their own with the hydrogen peroxide just like they you know, do with the alcohol and some of the stronger agents. Well, that's what I do. You to use it around the house as a cleaner and a disinfectant related to this, you know, disease thing. I just use it straight three percent out of the bottle. Now, some yeah. people will worry that that's a little bit too strong. And if you if you put it on your hands over and over and over again, you'll get a drying and a kind of a tingling going on there. That's probably you want to avoid in other words just don't don't overdo it and it, and putting it on colored fabrics and paint yep, fresh paint sure. and everything just don't put it on too strong and leave it there you know wipe it off which you need to do anyway well our my dermatologist you know when uh like like lots of us uh, who spend time in the sun occasionally has to take that little skin cancer off and he says that's better than any of the ointments better than alcohol but any, anything else he just says take a q-tip and use that to clean that little incision and that's all on earth he recommends using so it's good stuff well the people like me that get the little uh, age spots on their hands <laughs> and everything you know, hydrogen peroxide is the best thing in the world for uh it fading that out. It won't totally eliminate it, but it fades it out and really does a great job. <laughs> Roberta's looking at her hands, and I'm looking at mine as we're speaking. So uh, I, I think we'll be we'll be the next two test subjects on this. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask about: had a caller earlier was talking about uh, asking questions about ginkgos, and uh, and you know you feel what you when you got yours, it was originally reported to be a a male tree and then went through its uh, sex change whatever later in life and the the fruit's a little noxious but it's not really a problem is it well it was <laughs> it was interesting this year it had an abundant crop i bet i i use a shop vac and i bet i vacuumed up a couple of hundred thousand uh, fruit <laughs> it was unbelievable and there's still a few dropping off even with the new foliage com- coming on the tree well it's it's not that big a deal. You just do it on a kind of, if don't let it get ahead of you and vacuum them up, and you can use them to either grow little seedlings or you know throw them away, whatever you want to uh, do. I will have an abundance of little seedlings coming up. I would uh, imagine it, which is fine with me. The thing that's the most interesting about the ginkgo 
is that it will grow in sun or shade. And I've got these little potted uh, seedlings. I've got some that are single trees, and I've got some where I've planted multiple trees in a single pot. And they grow beautifully in absolute 100% full shade all day long. They don't get one oh, wow. bit of sunlight. That's interesting. That's amazing. And they're beautiful. Yeah, there's something that we probably, and maybe coming up that I'm going to have an abundance of them, get y'all some to have there at uh, Shade. I was going to say, please save us some seed because we'd love to have some. Or seedlings yeah, even better. Seedlings better. Seed y'all can try it out. In fact, it would be a good thing to grow in the greenhouse. By the way, what's going on in the greenhouse? What you got going? It's uh, in my greenhouse. It's uh, largely orchids and uh, little miniature cattleyas and phalaenopsis. I need to just keep shooting you some pictures. And, He's doing uh, an amazing job. Oh my gosh, those flowers are absolutely beautiful. <laughs> That's, it's, great. That's great. It, it, it's been it's been fun getting back into it, and of course, it's also a great place to start seed. And we've got things. Roberta gave me a little piece of a uh, big stapelia, and boy, that thing's grown to the point that uh, we've got. Uh, you know, just just everything I stick in the soil roots with a good propagating mat. And so having a lot of fun starting other things, starting cuttings, my vegetable garden. Gosh, I can't believe how the tomatoes are growing this year. And uh, But no, greenhouses, everybody needs a greenhouse. But it's what I tell people and I fully believe is figure the biggest greenhouse you could ever need and double the size, and you'll probably outgrow it pretty quickly anyway. Oh, yeah, no question about it. I've... I'm kind of delinquent of pulling all my stuff out of the greenhouse. I use mine primarily for a, a hospital and, you know, overwintering tropical plants, and it's time to pull everything out. It is hot here. <laughs> it's been hot here this last week, too. Hopefully it's going to cool down a little bit this next week. There, we got there's... a little bit of drizzling rain this morning. I was, a little, I was surprised about that, and then I looked at the paper, and it actually uh, predicted uh, a shower <laughs> this morning, so they hit it right, it looks like. Well, for us, it was a pretty thin line that went through pretty quickly. We're we're still dry. Uh, Roberta was talking, digging in her garden, and me digging in mine. You get down below about six inches. We've had we've had enough rains that it's really supported the weeds. It's really supported the grass very well. But boy, you get much deeper than that, and the soil is just dry. And I think we're seeing that in some of the things like the agarita and the persimmons and some of the things that are normally blooming they bloom but the blooms aren't lasting nearly as often so we're ready for that good soaking rain whenever it comes but so far it's just uh it's been mist and drizzle here pretty much have y'all gotten dallas has had much more rain than lots of other parts of texas but i don't know how your how your winter was overall we we're still sopping wet really we've had a lot of rain and it's been kind of interesting some of the places uh golf course and in my backyard you know that's the lowest part on the uh, property and other places i've noticed have stayed sopping wet longer than i've ever uh, noticed before so it's uh interesting i we had some plants judy was telling me we had some plants wilted and it's a common thing to fool people after you've had the all the rain and the cool uh, temperatures and the overcast and everything, and the sun comes out and it gets hot, you get that wilting going on. And it's not wilting from lack of water. It's just the shock of the change of environment. you got to be careful not to overwater. 
And that's the same thing we tell people is check that soil. Don't assume that they're dry just because they're wilting out there. And, you know, we see, we see a lot of things, people actually rotting them by, by keeping them too wet. And it kind of brings, uh, brings up the other question I wanted to ask about today. And that is mosquitoes. I'm starting to see some mosquitoes. We're starting to see some here at the nursery. What is, what's the latest on your mosquito control suggestions? Oh, there's nothing new. It's the same thing I've recommended, those traps of having water in, in some buckets and throw, keep some BTI in there. Uh, how often you need to do it uh, you know, is something I, I don't do it as often as I should because I forget about it, but just putting some little pieces of BTI in that stagnant water in those traps I think helps as well as anything. And then putting out something different on the site Every time you treat cedar one time, uh, maybe garlic, well, for sure, garlic another time, and then the third time maybe the liquid uh, BTI on the whole site. That kind of a, a change of things is important because the mosquitoes have this incredible ability to adapt to anything that you do. And uh, I think that the liquid BTI sprayed out on the property on a regular basis probably gives you the the strongest overall control of all, but those repellents definitely help too. Do you think we will see the BTI in a more a homeowner friendly size, or do you think at this point we're better off just to soak the granules, the pellets, or whatever in water for a while and then use that as a spray? Well, it's kind of like uh, my recent talk to my own doctor about something that doesn't have clinical uh, studies yet, and A&M saying, you know, if it's not studied by a uh, land-grant university, it doesn't exist. <laughs> you, know, I've been, you and I have been dealing with that forever, and it's the same thing with the liquid BTI. In fact, one of the companies that owns the dang stuff I've talked to, and he told me not to be recommending it, that that wasn't on the label. I mean, that that's what we're having to deal with there so the answer is no we don't have uh, small things you have to buy right now I think you can buy a gallon of uh, the stuff and that's about it and that's kind of pricey for some homeowners but yeah, yeah. It, it works better than anything you can do well, it's and again, it's one of those things that's so safe. We can use it in bird baths. We can use it in water troughs, and uh, doesn't seem that it really the the two things we recommend it for, of course, are mosquito control. But people that have fungus gnats in their house plants, it usually means they're keeping them too wet. But uh, we have found that if they'll you know soak one of the dry products in watering can and use that to water a house plant, it seems to seems to control the fungus gnat larvae just the same way it does the mosquito larvae. Yeah, it works beautifully. It works on black fly. There's some indication that it would work on other insects as well. So I, I don't think there's any downside to using it. It doesn't appear to hurt any beneficials at all. And that's such a good thing. Well, I guess last question is, uh, how is Dallas coping? Are you all seeing any spike? Uh, are you hearing anything from your officials about what their long-term plans are, whether we're going to be able to relax things anytime soon or just take it day-to-day like we are now? No, everybody's hearing the same thing from the feds, you know, the daily uh, reports that they're doing with the uh, committee, the the state, and the, uh, you know, Dallas is just kind of going along with whatever's recommended on the national level so basically everything is closed down it's interesting what's exempt though you know the 
garden centers are exempt, landscape companies are exempt, and going on errands is exempt. <laughs> so it, it it's kind of spotty about what they've uh, closed. All the the uh, country clubs in the Dallas-Fort Worth area are completely closed and shut down, but municipal golf courses are open. So it, <laughs> it's all over the map, to give you yeah. the uh, truth. And uh, like I said, we only know one person that uh, has been tested positive, and, and that gets your attention for sure. But other than that, everybody's dealing with it pretty well. What we found here, and we were kind of up in the air because they weren't real clear at first on whether or not nurseries were exempted, but um, we sent a lot of information to and through the mayor's office, and we got confirmation back that, you know, we are legal to be open. Roberta, didn't you say the mayor's secretary was in yesterday? Yeah, she talked to one of our employees and said that uh, Mayor Nuremberg would be very proud of all the steps we're taking to keep social distancing and and stay sanitized, and we're working really hard to, to make it safe for our customers. That's great. I think that long-term, when we come out of this, everybody's going to be a lot more careful from now on about sanitizing things and washing your hands and trying to not touch your face. You know, that's the <laughs> hardest thing that there is. Stanley Marcus told me about it years and years ago, too. It was really funny to me. He was telling me he was writing a column about it or something. He said, Howard, you need to try to not touch your face, and you're, you're going to we were very surprised about how difficult it is. And one of the hardest things is to not lick your fingers when you're turning the page of the newspaper. Or the <laughs> I guess that makes good sense. But, uh, yeah, and we that's the one thing about down here. we are, The nurseries are allowed to stay open, but only if they are good about doing the social distancing. And yeah, we know if one nursery was closed down, I think they may have since reopened, but they... Code compliance people actually shut them down because they weren't following the rules. And I think everybody's just adapting. You know, we've kind of closed the office part of the building. Somebody needs to come in and use the restroom. We send somebody in to sanitize it immediately afterwards. But uh, yeah. it just comes down to common sense. If we all play by the rules, then uh, we can all go on with our gardening and indoor and out and do all the things that we love talking about. Well, one of the things that uh, I've been listening to all kinds of stuff on different radio stations and uh, Periscope broadcasts and all that, and there's this uh, mix of pills that has you know this anecdotal evidence that it works. And and yesterday, and it kind of flew under the radar, but y'all might, y'all might uh, look for this in in the news. Apparently, Trump uh, approved. Uh, about 10,000 doses of this stuff to go to uh, New York. So that's a big, big deal that just kind of flew under the radar. It's, there's so many things that, that just have not been reported well by the news media. And uh, the one bad thing that we've heard is that uh, we'd heard, you know, good things about that anti-malarial drug works so well. Well, apparently a couple of people... Yeah, apparently a couple of people found something at home that had the same active ingredient, but they didn't pay any attention to the other things that added to it. And a man and his wife took it thinking they were going to get prevention, and he died, and she was in the hospital in intensive care. So, um, well, that was a totally, yeah, that was a totally yeah. different chemical. That wasn't even right. close to the right thing. Yeah, that, right. That, and that's what hurts, and that's why the doctors are so careful about saying it needs clinical study trials and all that kind of thing but it, 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 there is uh, anec- 
very strong anecdotal evidence that the stuff really does work. So you're going to yeah. hear more about it is my point. So yeah. keep an ear out for that. You know we will do it, and you know how much we appreciate uh, your joining us every Saturday morning. Any final thoughts, Roberta? Just give Judy my love. Okay. Miss, well, miss, miss seeing her. Us today, Roberta. Yeah, we'll, see, uh, we'll see you guys next time. Sounds great. We'll look forward to it, Howard. And don't forget to give the puppies a big pet for us. And um, I guess you got the uh, the picture I sent you of that uh, new, it's it's third party, but the uh, new certification free of glyphosate residue. I, I sent you a picture of a couple of bottle tops yeah. that uh, I had. And that's going to be a fun thing to watch as well. But in the meantime, again, our thanks to you for everything you're doing. I know people find lots of good information on DirtDoctor.com. And uh, we'll look forward to next Saturday morning. We'll see you in a week. Stay safe. We'll look forward to it. Thanks again. Okay. All right. We are back to gardening. And as you can tell, uh, with a little sound in the background, we are broadcasting live from Shades of Green this morning, as we'll be doing with the show for the foreseeable future. Um, we're, let's see, we've got uh, Robert and Cindy and Tom on the line. We're going to need to get one more break in here. So tell you what I'm going to do. Let's go ahead and uh, get Don to bring up Robert. Uh, good morning, Robert. Good morning, Bob. Uh, well, good morning, uh, sir. A quick question to your hydrogen peroxide discussion with uh, the dirt doctor brings up is what is it dangerous to spray on in terms of it's a bleaching uh, agent as well, right? Right. And uh, I don't think you, I think you'd want to be careful spraying it on fabrics. And right. uh, of course, it's all going to depend on how strong it is. Uh, uh, sometimes what you get at the grocery store is 1%, sometimes it's 3%. Uh, for most uses we're going to dilute it down to at least the one percent range and uh i don't know of anything that would be dangerous on now you know um i know one thing we we get are some of these pots that have been intentionally aged so to speak with algae and lichens and things like that on them so we certainly wouldn't want to people are paying extra money to get that look on the pot so we certainly wouldn't want to be spraying it on those but you know, it's latex cabinet tops, that sort of thing, or latex paint. Uh, we we use it to swab them down as a cleaning agent, so uh, I don't think there'd be any problem at all. Wonderful, wonderful. So, quick question I have is uh, rats. Uh, I think you said peanut butter is a great bait, but I was wondering if you had any other tips. Uh, that same situation, I uh, had a recent discussion with you about. Uh, you know, we got rats there as well. I. Uh, rats are an issue, and they're an issue I'm facing in my barn right now. And we had heard that putting out salt would be repellent to them. And I have to say that in my own situation, that's kind of given disappointing results. I, I'm still, I'm back to the old snap traps. Uh, you know, you love your dogs, we love our dogs, and I'm not going to use the the poisons at, you know, at all. I'll sit out there and shoot well, them with a. Yeah, especially since it can be so damaging to wildlife, or raptors, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, so, so I'm just back to the old snap traps that, uh, right. and you know, putting them in a in a way and in a place that uh, animals, non-target animals, so to speak, absolutely can't get to it. What you know, what we did here at the nursery is I've got some of the, uh, oh, those little bit uh, narrower dimension cattle panels that are actually two inch by four inch openings that. None of the, even the cats can't get through there, but the rats can. So we built like a little box that we put down over the top of the rat trap, then bait that rat trap with peanut butter or 
marshmallows or everybody has a different thing. Uh, oh, I had an old, yeah. yeah, old doctor friend up in uh, Dallas years ago uh, baited it with a little piece of bacon, which the rats seemed to be unable to uh, to get rid of. But I I haven't found anything. I, I know that on the electronic traps, they say that a rat, even if that electricity stops his heart, Unlike a mouse, a rat can restart its heart. So you've got to get one of these fancier electronic traps made for rats that will jolt them several times to actually kill them. And um, I guess that's another option. Uh, but the, the the electronic traps that work on the mice don't work well on the rats. So they're a real tough little character to go after, but they, they don't stand up to that snap trap too well. Well, that's that's exactly what I've got, and in this situation, there's no issue about there are no pets over there at sure. all. So sure, that's easy. By the way, something that seems to be quite popular up here um, in Austin is peppermint oil. People say it's a deterrent. I did huh. a little bit of googling on it, and it got mixed reviews. Some say it's great, and some say, <laughs> well, they get used to it. If you can stand it, they can stand. It. <laughs> and another, well, you know, we, another comment was, they live in the sewers. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that is, uh, that's, that's humorous. Uh, we have had that product called Fresh Cab that's apparently a balsam product. It has worked well for us on mice, but it does absolutely nothing against rats. Uh, well, so, uh, the one other thing I ran into, they said, if, you, you know, if you've got really good-sized rats, you need to wire the trap in place Other, yeah. because if it, if it doesn't kill them straight away they can they can drag it off <laughs> you'll never see you know it that i and that certainly makes sense uh what and and i have done that more when we were collecting specimens for you know study at the museum and we would go to the hardware store and get a little piece of very very lightweight chain and then simply take one of those heavy duty staplers and just, you know, staple the chain to the side of the trap or something, brother, and be able to tie it down. And that way we never lost the trap because uh, um, otherwise that, that certainly could be an issue. So I, w- I was really glad to hear you and the dirt doctor talking about uh, relieving the trunk flare on bushes and shrubs. Right. My lovely wife, who, as you know, thinks she is too shy to speak on the radio, but <laughs> has, has been somewhat resistant to my 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 relayed counsel that this is important. I've just switched you to the speakerphone so you can hear, uh, so she can hear what you're about to say about relieving <laughs> shrubs, rose rose bushes is what she's worried about. Well, you know, if you look at the cross section of any woody plant, including rose bushes, uh, you've got your bark on the outside, then you've got your phloem, which is what takes the nutrients to the roots. And then you've got your cambium inside of that. And if you pile, you know, soil up or mulch or anything else up against the trunk, uh, the part that's below ground, that bark is full of suberans and lignans and things that make it waterproof. And so it's used to being in the soil. But above the ground level, the bark does not have those water-repelling properties and it will just start rotting from the outside in, and it may take months, it may take years, but ultimately I've seen even big oak trees killed where people, you know, pile the soil up around them, and eight, ten years later they couldn't figure out why their tree was dying, but it's just um, the only thing where it isn't important. When you look at palm trees, when you look at cycads, they have a different trunk structure where 
Their xylem and phloem is tied up in little individual things we call vascular bundles that are spread all the way through the trunk. So on them, you know, they can be buried deep, deep, deep. I know Roberta and I were trying to dig up a uh, one of the little sayball palms down on uh, on the Guadalupe River on her property, and we went down like three feet before we found the roots on that little palm tree just from you know, uh, just the alluvial soil washing in with the various floods that we see along there. But, no, all all woody plants, and it doesn't include tomato plants, but it includes rose bushes, pittosporum, viburnum, all types of woody trees. Having that root flare exposed improves the health of the plant all the time and ultimately can keep it from being killed by being buried. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Susie, it is so good to hear your voice. Miss seeing you guys so much, and uh, that's, um, that's probably the last time you'll ever hear her on the on the radio. Thank you so much. <laughs> we, both, we both send our love, and please give the hounds a pat for us. Oh, you know we will sure do it, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> Goodbye.